during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. She was messy and he was neat. She loved to wear bright colors and he was colorblind. They were the most unlikely couple, but they were in love, and so Joan and Ed wed in a simple ceremony on the 18th of November, 1977. About four years ago, a local reporter came to visit them and do a local Valentine's Day feature for the local news. And when the reporter found them, he found them finishing one another's sentences, hugging, holding hands, and just completely in love. Joan said, he's the most important part of my life, and Ed quickly added, she completes me. But with time, Joan began to show signs of Alzheimer's, and about six months ago, she moved into a local nursing home where Ed would visit her every single day to read her the newspaper and poetry. No one expected their love story to end the way it did. In March of 2020, Joan and Ed died in separate hospitals alone. Neither one knew of the other's fate. Both of them fell victims to the COVID-19 pandemic in New York City. Their story is just one of many hundreds that are taking place in our world today of love stories cut short by a pandemic, by a disease. And the Bible tells us of another love story that was threatened by a different pandemic. You see, this great romance, the Bible tells us, This great romance began in a perfect garden, a garden of paradise and pleasure, a garden called Eden. There was no sickness in this garden. Everything was good. There was no pain and there was certainly no death. God created Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us, in his own image. And the relationship that he shared with them was something very special. There was no fear, just perfect love. But then one day, an intruder came into that paradise. A serpent, Satan, slithered into that paradise, and he told Adam and Eve lies about who God was. They believed those lies. Trust was broken, and the relationship between God and his creatures was completely shattered. If you have ever experienced the pain of unfaithfulness in a relationship, you know just a little of the pain that pierced the heart of God in that garden. God had a new problem on his hand. That which he hated the most was inside that which he loved the most, the human race. What was a broken-hearted God to do with a broken home and a heaven now broken too? When the virus of sin entered our world, everything changed. Do you know what sin is? The Bible tells us what sin is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. We see the symptoms of this sickness of sin all around us in our world today. We see it on the news. We read about it in the newspapers. We scroll through it on social media. It's everywhere. Sin touches every single aspect of our lives. And guess what? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, these solemn words, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have at some point in our lives broken God's law and we have committed sin. Have you ever lied? 
Have you ever lusted? Have you ever hurt someone for selfish interest? Ever cheated? Ever stolen? Ever been selfish in any way? That the Bible says is sin. Sin is ugly. Sin is insidious. It touches every part of us. Fighting over toilet paper is just a symptom of our sickness and the sinful human nature that we have. This world is sick with sin. And this sickness, the Bible tells us, is terminal. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The first part of this verse simply says, For the wages of sin is death. Wherever there is sin, there is misery and pain and death. Sin destroys kindness, smashes justice, deceives children, kills babies, hurts old people, wrecks young people. Sin ruins absolutely everything. And to top it all off, the Bible even tells us in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, these words, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Friend, sin brings death because it separates us from the giver of life. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, in that garden. Since God's holiness formed an instant barrier to the sin that was now within humanity, God wasn't obligated to stick around. He could have left this world to rot and said, well, that's too bad. This, let's uninstall this version and install another one because this one has a virus. But he didn't do that. The good news of the Bible tells us that God is love and love always finds a way. God's love and mercy wouldn't let him destroy Adam and Eve. And so he yearned for a relationship still, even though his perfect justice demanded death. So without wasting any time at all, God gave voice to a plan. He, as soon as there was sin, there was a savior. And listen to how God describes this plan to the serpent right after this relationship was ruined in the Garden of Eden. We read it in Genesis chapter 3 and notice what God says in verse 15. God simply says to the serpent with Adam and Eve sitting by, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I love this. God says, I will put enmity between the serpent. He puts the serpent on one side. And instead of putting Adam and Eve on the other, he puts himself on the other side and he makes this quarrel personal. He announces that he will personally deal with the devil himself. I had a colleague who I used to work with and she told me that one day in her home, she encountered a deadly Australian brown snake. And she told me that she went and grabbed a spade in the house and she came and I still don't know how she had the courage to do this, but she dealt a deathly blow to the head of that snake and killed it. Friends, in Genesis 3 verse 15, God promises that one day a Messiah would come, a Redeemer would be born, and though the serpent would try to attack him, and he would be like he was biting or bruising his heel. The Bible tells us that this Redeemer would deal a crushing blow to the serpent, restoring the relationship that sin had ruined. This is amazing. And this divine plan to deliver the human family from the pandemic of sin, it has a name. It's called the plan of salvation. 
And perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible, perhaps you've heard it, seen it, written somewhere, it captures this whole plan most succinctly in John chapter 3, verse 16. This is really the gospel in a nutshell, if you will. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, God loves you. The Bible tells me so. He loves and still loves this sin-sick world that we are part of today. There was a chaplain who was ministering to a soldier who had just lost his arm in battle. And in order to try and bring comfort to this soldier, the chaplain said to him, you have lost your arm to a great cause. But the soldier corrected him and he said, I did not lose my arm. I gave it. And in a very similar way, the Bible tells us God did did not send Jesus just to lose his life. Jesus willingly gave himself for us so that you and I could be reconciled to God. You see, as soon as the pandemic of sin broke out in our world, the Bible tells us that Jesus stepped forward and he said, I will live the life that Adam and Eve should have lived. I will live a life of righteousness and I will live it perfectly. I will face Satan head on. I will deal with all the temptations and I will face all the same temptations that they have to face and that is common to man. But I will do so and as I do so, I will die the death that they deserved. Then I will offer my life as a sacrifice for them. When Jesus came, salvation was no longer just a plan. It had become a man. This is why when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming one day while he was preaching in the wilderness, he exclaimed the words that we find in John chapter 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And you might say to me, well, hang on a minute, Sharissa. How is Jesus a lamb and how is he the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? What does this mean? And that's a really good question. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they became keenly aware of their nakedness. Sin had left them exposed. And so the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve and every faithful follower of God after them until Christ they would offer a sacrifice of a lamb to God to atone for their sins. We get this straight from the Bible and you can see it in your own. If you look at Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, the Bible says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Adam and Eve to see death for the first time? Or even just to watch the first leaf that died as it fell off a tree. We're so used to seeing death around us, but for them, it was a new and strange thing. Imagine what it would have been like to take the life of an innocent lamb. And why was this shedding of blood necessary? Well, the Bible tells us that blood makes atonement. At one, that's what the word means. There's something about the blood. And in Leviticus 17 verse 11, you may remember, the Bible says, for the life is in the blood. According to the Bible, when blood is shed, it is symbolic of the life being shed. 
Now, many ancient civilizations, such as uh, the pagan Carthaginians in Africa and the Aztecs of South America, they all practiced human sacrifices. And it was in order to appease their angry gods and also to help them deal and break the shackles of guilt that bound them. But unlike these civilizations, the Bible tells us that God loved us so much that in Christ Jesus, God became flesh and he became the sacrifice taking our place. Is that just amazing to you? Jesus never sinned. No record of any wrong he ever committed exists. Even when he stood before Pilate, in the judgment hall, and people wanted him dead, Pilate said to them, I find no fault in this man. But of Jesus, the Bible says something incredible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin for us. He took the guilt of sin. He took the shame of sin. He died as a condemned sinner when he died for us on the cross. You see, the Bible speaks about two deaths. The first is a physical death, which will come to all of us if Jesus doesn't come soon. But Jesus didn't just simply die a physical death. I know that for sure, because if he did, he could never offer salvation to us from eternal death. When Jesus died on the cross... It was more than just the nails that pierced his hands and feet. When Jesus died, he could only see the guilt of sin and the shame of sin. On the cross, he could not see through the tomb. The guilt of sin was so great, he experienced the agony, the wrenching agony that sinners will experience when they're eternally lost. And this is what the Bible calls the second death. Friend, do you realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he went through hell on the cross for us? In a future episode, we will talk more about hell and what it means. Hell is the ultimate separation from God. And I would like you to know that on the cross, Jesus said, I would rather die. I would rather be separated from the Father. I would rather take the guilt and shame of sin. I would rather go into the tomb and die forever, be lost, so that Sharissa could be saved and to save you. At the cross, we see the greatest exchange in human history. Jesus says, give me your guilt and I will give you my righteousness. Give me your dying and I will give you my life. Jesus willingly stepped down from his throne. He didn't have to, but love caused him to do it. He became a man. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn. And he submitted himself to living a humble life. And he, a humili- and he died a humiliating death. Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that one day the Bible tells us he can place on your head a crown of victory. Jesus died outside the city of Jerusalem, so that one day we could live inside the new Jerusalem with him. Jesus died naked, so that the shame of our nakedness could be covered with his righteousness. Friends, if it wasn't for the cross of Calvary, you and I would never know just how much Jesus loves us. 
Not even the angels who watched on knew how good God was until they saw Jesus hanging on the cross of Calvary. As one writer put it, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the sky of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. So no matter who you are, you need to know today that you are of infinite value to God. Sometimes when people ask me how I met my husband, I just tell them the shortened version. I say, he saw me, and then he just didn't stop following me. That is the juice down, no frills CTV, Sharissa Tarosian version. There is a much better story to it than that. But as I look at Jesus, and as I see what God did for a fallen human race, I see that he followed us into perilous territory so that he could reveal his love for us and he could arouse our love for him by showing him, by showing us that love. This is how Paul described God's love at his poetic best. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, he said this, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can isolate you from God. Nothing can separate you from him. No lockdown can put a wedge between us and his love. He has paid the penalty for our sin, not even with a billion dollars, but with his own life blood. You need to know, and he wants you to know, that you are of infinite value to him. Listen to how 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 put it. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You are so valuable to God that he has invested his life blood in your salvation. You know, the old 1975 Ford Escort that once belonged to Pope Benedict, it sold at an auction for nearly $900,000. And a bag of golf clubs that once belonged to J.F. Kennedy, they sold for over a million dollars. Why? Because they had belonged to someone important. Friend, your worth, your value, it does not come from what you have what you wear, what you drive, or what even you are. It comes from who you belong to. You belong to someone important, the king of the universe. And we are God's twice, once because he made us, and twice because he has redeemed us personally with his blood. Now you might be thinking, Sharissa, this is all very nice, but you don't understand. You don't know what I've done in my life. You don't even know how I have treated God. And it's true, I don't. But guess what? Even if you could be good enough to earn salvation, you would never be good enough. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 64 and verse 6 that all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Salvation isn't a thing to be earned. This is why the Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perhaps the best illustration of this 
is the thief that accepted Christ while he was dying next to him on a cross. You may remember that Jesus died crucified between two thieves, but one turned to him and put faith in him. That thief had both of his hands nailed to a cross, so he couldn't do anything to earn his salvation. His feet were nailed to the cross, and so he couldn't even run an errand for the Lord. But when Jesus offered to him eternal life, that thief, he took it by faith. And we can do the same. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So how do you receive this gift? Do you need a voucher? Do you need some sort of written recommendation? No. The good news is you simply reach out and take it by faith. Friend, is guilt plaguing your life? Guilt repressed will cause all kinds of emotional problems and physical problems. Guilt repressed brings fear and anxiety. It causes stress and tension and all kinds of sickness. Guilt will destroy your life. And no matter what you can do to try and think you don't have it, that guilt can only be resolved by one thing. There is only one answer to the problem of guilt, and it is Jesus. It is coming to Jesus, kneeling before him and saying, Lord, I confess my sin, and I give my life to you, my guilt and my shame. Jesus can take away your guilt and your shame and your condemnation. Right now, that burden can be rolled off your shoulders because Jesus is reaching out to you and he's saying, I will take your guilt if you will take my life. Dominoes can have a thousand different ways to make a pizza, but there is only one way to be saved. Salvation is not like a pizza. There's only one way to be saved, and it is to give your life to the one who loved you enough to die for you. And so right now, wherever you may be watching this from, you can reach out and receive God's gift of forgiveness right now. Believe that you cannot save yourself and believe that Jesus can save you. And just like that, you can go from facing death to eternal life. To be free from guilt, we have to acknowledge it. This is why the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the end of the verse is, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can pray, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I come to you with an open heart and I choose to accept that gift of salvation. I come to the cross believing that Jesus is my lamb and I confess my sin. The burden of guilt is taken off my shoulders. I give it to Jesus. They say the best things in life are free. And of course, for everything else, there's MasterCard. But it's true. The best things in life are free. Nothing can be given to pay for your salvation because all that could be given has been given by God. To see that gift as it was given, come with me to Pilate's courtyard. Come watch with me as a man is mocked, as they yank pieces of his beard from his face. Watch with me as a Roman soldier whips his back and then pulls it back and flesh is pulled from his body. 
Who is this man that we are watching? It is Jesus, the Son of God. Come with me as we climb the hill of Calvary. Watch with me as the cross rubs his shoulder bare. Watch with me as they nail him to the wooden bars and lift this cross up for all the world to see. Who is this man? He is the Son of God. He is the one who created this world, who created every flower blossom. He could have called 10,000 angels to his side, but no, he stayed because he was doing something that was so important, too important to even give to them. He was dying for our salvation. They put the Son of God in a tomb, but you cannot keep the Son of God down because the Bible tells us on the third day He rose from that tomb. He has the victory over death and the victory over sin. And the Bible tells us that same Christ offers to you eternal life. Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? Have you asked Him to save you from the virus of sin? The Bible says that Jesus stands at your heart's door and he is constantly knocking. He wants to have an eternal friendship with you. God is not someone to be afraid of. He is someone to be a friend of. Do not be afraid of the Savior. We ought to be afraid of sin. If the richest man in the world were to come knocking on your door, would you let him in if he was offering you a million dollars? I think so. But Jesus is offering us something so much better than a million dollars. Jesus is offering to you his life and he offers to you an eternal home. Jeremiah 31.3 tells us how God feels about us. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He offers you a love with, as we close out, I want to leave you with five simple steps to salvation. Number one, accept that God loves you. That's a fact. Number two, recognize that you cannot save yourself. If you could have, Jesus would never have had to come and die. Recognize you cannot save yourself. Number three, believe that Jesus can and will save you. Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What does that look like? Well, I believe in a doctor when I put my case in his hands and believe that he can help cure me. I believe in a lawyer when I put my case in his hands and believe that he will plead for me or he will uh, represent me. I believe in Jesus as my personal savior when I put my helpless case in his hand and believe and trust him to do what he cannot, what I cannot do. I believe in my Savior when I take him to be my Savior and I put my helpless case in his hands and I trust him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. So number one, just recapping, accept the fact that God loves you. Recognize you cannot save yourself. Believe that Jesus can save you. Number four, confess your sin to Jesus and believe that you are forgiven. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 5 that by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus can offer us healing from sin. And so that's why in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And number five, claim his gift of eternal life and decide to serve him forever. Somebody watching this program is going to receive this wonderful new life that Jesus has got on offer to them. 
Reach out and take it by faith today. Responding to someone who truly loves you is the best thing that you can do. That's how I feel about the decision I made to marry my husband. But making a decision to respond to a God who loves you like this is so much even more amazing than you and I can ever even comprehend. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. There was a man, he was driving home, and he came to a busy intersection and had to stop. And he noticed on the side there was a sign that was propped up against a post at that busy intersection. And on that sign was written this message, You are my life. Please come home. I love you. It was a last-ditch effort from a lover to try and win the heart of their lover, of the person that they loved. Friend, I want to invite you as we close to cast your eyes to another sign that God placed at an intersection of history, the cross of Calvary. There you can see that Jesus died for you. He left a sign for all the world to see. You are my life. Please come home. I love you. Jesus was crucified because he loves us. My question to you is what will you do with that love? Will you accept this incredible gift that Jesus is offering to you? If you have just accepted Jesus' gift of eternal life that is offered to you, then feel free to let us know. We would love to hear from you. Text us on the number that you see on the screen because you have just begun a wonderful relationship with Jesus that will continue on into eternity. It's a never-ending love story. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.